What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the 214 Podcast. My name is Grant Meager, and I'm the show's host and creator. Uh, the podcast is essentially going to be just a Dallas-Fort Worth-based sports podcast. Um, I've been told by many of my friends that I talk about sports a lot, and I really do like my Dallas sports, so I figured why not make a podcast about it and uh, just see where it goes. So it's definitely going to be an experiment. I don't really have any plans for it. I don't know if it's going to be a weekly thing, maybe multiple episodes a week. But uh, as we go along and experiment further, I'm sure we can figure out what this thing is really going to become. Uh, But without further ado, you guys did not come here to listen to an introduction about the show. You want to actually get into the content and the meat of the sandwich. So we're going to go ahead and dive right into that. We're going to cue the intro, uh, and then we'll go from there. Let's do it. So the first thing I'd like to talk about uh, is basketball because the NBA draft just happened the other day. As of today, we are recording this Saturday at 4.30 p.m. And so the draft just happened and we need to talk about it. So to absolutely nobody's surprise, Zion went number one. And uh, it was crazy that of all the teams that got him, uh, it was the Pelicans. I think to me, it's actually hilariously ironic that one of the biggest teams to pay attention to for this offseason was going to be the Pelicans because of the whole Anthony Davis situation. Then they get that first pick, and anybody's hopes of maybe trading that first pick for AD just went out the window. And I thought it was hilarious, really. I mean, as a Mavericks fan, I was a little upset that the Mavs didn't end up getting their first-round pick because of that trade with the Hawks last year for uh, Luka. But, hey, you know, we got Luka. And he is, without a doubt, uh, the clear winner of the Rookie of the Year award. So, I mean, I can't really complain all that much. Um, But yeah, so Zion went number one. And then, of course, uh, nobody's surprised. Next came Ja Morant. And then uh, R.J. Barrett. uh, And then (laughs) the rest of the draft. Um, So I just kind of want to skim over uh, two uh, important things in relation to uh, North Texas sports. So the first one I want to talk about is the guy that we drafted. All right, so let's see here. Um, so the Mavericks had a pretty boring draft night, as all of us expected. Um, they had a pick at number 37. Uh, they ended up trading that with the Pistons to get the number 45 overall pick instead. Uh, and with that pick, they ended up getting from Nebraska forward Isaiah Roby, standing at six foot nine as a junior. Um, so Isaiah Roby had a pretty solid season uh, with Nebraska last year. Um, I'm reading here that last season he had about 11.8 points per game, uh, about seven rebounds, about two assists, and his field goal percentage is sitting right around uh, a little under 50% at a 45. His field goal percentage for the three-pointer was about 34%. It's a little something to think about, but as a guy who was already kind of considered to be an early second-round draft pick, you know, not a whole lot you can expect out of this guy. I think we all understood that at this point moving forward that the Mavericks are going to be building their team out of free agency and not necessarily through the draft. 
I can see the potential in this pick, though, because at this point, uh, the Mavericks kind of have a weakness at wing with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith basically being the only players on our team that can possibly even fit that role. Um, and so I like the idea of drafting Isaiah Roby as, like, insurance. Basically, we're going to just put him on the practice squad in the same position as, like, Costas Antetokounmpo and uh, Daryl Macon, and we're just going to see what he can provide for this team. Uh, and you never know. I mean, as we saw last year, you could get lucky in the second round. I mean, somehow Jalen Brunson slipped through the draft and fell into the Mavs' lap. And so we ended up just kind of putting him on the team, seeing what he was capable of doing. And as soon as J.J. Barreo went down, he was called upon to uh, try and step up. And, you know, honestly, now he's at this point where you can argue that he could possibly be a starting uh, point guard in the league because the dude really just killed it last year. Uh, and so who knows what Isaiah Roby could be. There's not really a lot of expectations out of this guy. I mean, I personally am not expecting much out of him myself, or I doubt I'll even see him on the court next year. If if he is, it's probably going to be for just a limited amount of minten, uh, minutes. But, um, you know, let's see, what, uh, let's see what we can do with him. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about in the draft is our boy from Tech, Jared Culver. Uh, Jared Culver had a lot of hype around him during the, the build-up to the draft. Um, he wasn't really considered to be part of that top four, but he was in the conversation for being essentially one of the best players outside of that big four uh, that have ended up getting drafted as the first four guys anyway. Um, and so Jared Culver, one thing he's really known well for uh, from his college career at Tech is that he's a great defensive shooting guard. Um, obviously, he has a lot of to offer just outside of that, but that is essentially his strength. And so the Timberwolves drafting him, I think there is a lot of potential that he can really thrive on that team. When you got guys surrounding you like Carl uh, Anthony Towns and a lot of these other draft picks that had a lot of hope as well, um, and I could argue still do have potential as long as they're under the right coaching, um, then I really think that the Timberwolves have a shot here to really turn Jer Culver into something really special. And so I see a lot of potential for him moving forward, and I hope for the best for him out there. Um, so as I was saying earlier, though, the Mavericks, we kind of understood that the draft wasn't really going to be the time of the offseason for us fans to look at. We realize now that moving ahead, uh, where we're really going to make any sort of improvement is going to be in free agency. And so I kind of want to talk about um, all those guys that are coming up, all the names that have been appearing. So let me just pull up here the notes that I got. So all right. So the question now becomes, what do the Mavericks do? with all this cap space that they've now attained, right? They've moved a lot of pieces around. Dwight Powell recently just opted into his contract for 10 mil. Um, and I'm actually okay with that because Dwight Powell is a great contributor to this team. Uh, he was essentially the best pick and roll pop guy uh, in the league. You know, if you look at the stats, the dude is, is seriously up there with the best and he was coming off of the bench, you know? And before JJ Barea went down, he was doing it over and over again to the guys on the bench and annihilating them. And I know that you can make the argument that he was doing it to bench guys, but he wasn't. He was doing it to the starters as well. I mean, he really is a viable weapon on this team, and I personally am totally fine with him stay, uh, staying on board. Um, but let's talk about our options at free agency and some of the names that have been floating around. So obviously, if you haven't been paying attention, the big name that's been floating around the Mavericks organization is Kemba Walker. Now, Kemba Walker is in a pretty interesting situation over in Charlotte. Uh, they have the opportunity to give him a five-year max, and a lot of people are arguing whether or not they should because the people who think that it would be a bad idea 
to give Kemba that money is because Kemba doesn't want to be there, right? And they don't have a winning organization. And essentially by giving Kemba all that money, you're tying up all the cap room that you could potentially have down the road to try and build your team back up to a contender. But then the people on the flip side are arguing that Kemba is the greatest franchise player you ever had and to let him walk away because you're trying to be stingy and cheap with your money is a huge mistake. Um, obviously, I'm biased on this perspective. I would definitely like it if Charlotte just let him go, let him walk, and uh, give us the chance to maybe get him off of that. But some of the stuff that I've been seeing around the league suggests that the Mavericks might have to compete with the Lakers for Kemba's attention. Uh, a lot of people are suggesting that the Lakers, with LeBron James and with Anthony Davis, might be, uh, and of course it is LA, uh, it might be higher on Kemba's priority list uh, if he were to step away from Charlotte. Um, but hopefully that doesn't work out and instead the Mavericks can uh, get this guy to come on over, join our team, um, and essentially become the point guard for years to come. Now, the fresh name that's starting to appear on everyone's radar is Al Horford. Um, Al Horford just recently declined his player option with the Celtics for 30.5 mil. Um, and so at this point, everyone kind of understands that he is out of Boston and is now looking for a new home. Now, a couple of team names have been tossed around here or there, but one that keeps coming up is the Mavericks. Uh, and I can see Al Horford actually being a part of this starting lineup. Uh, I don't know if it's possible that we can get both Kemba and Horford. I've heard people say that there are possible ways that we can do that uh, in terms of like sign and trades, maybe getting rid of Courtney Lee's contract, uh, trying to do something with THJ, but um, Al Horford is the other name that seems to be plan B if Kemba doesn't seem to work out. Uh, I can see Al Horford being a great veteran presence on this lineup. Uh, he can really help uh, guide guys like Luca and Kristaps to to really becoming the best versions of themselves. And I could really see him fitting in a Rick Carlisle system, you know, of all that crazy drama that was going on in Boston. You never really seem to hear Horford's name come up, uh, which to me makes it clear that he's one of those guys that you don't have to worry about creating any sort of locker room chemistry issues, um, that he's gonna step up and, and play the role that he has been told to play. And that's exactly how Rick Carlisle likes to play it. So. I see Horford actually working out on this team. Some other names that have also popped up. So for a little bit there, it seemed like a lot of people were talking about Chris Middleton and how he was going to be a primetime target for the Mavs. Uh, but it's now being reported that it seems that Middleton and the Bucks are on the same page and that they're going to give him some multi-year deal that is going to essentially just make any other person that's trying to suit him not even relevant. And so this, of course, now raises the question about the other Milwaukee Bucks target that the Mavs had their eyes on, which is Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I think everyone's kind of assuming that because they're signing Chris Middleton to such a large deal that there's going to have to be someone on that team that's going to have to say Sayonara. And the name Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon's name has been appearing a lot. So uh, it's a potential for the Mavericks to maybe chase after him. Uh, and then, of course, there's always that other guy that we keep hearing kind of floating through uh, the league rumors, and that's Julius Randle. Now, Julius Randle is one of those guys that has been under the radar in terms of free agency talks. He's gotten his due diligence. Certain people have talked about him and the potential of where he could go. But he is really one of those players that had a really solid season last year with the Pelicans. Uh, he just declined his player option, so he's on the prowl now, and he's a He's a true option for this team, I think. Um, he could definitely fit in on our roster if need be. 
Um, he had a, a solid season last year. Let's let's see here. Let me. Yeah, I mean, Julius Randle was averaging about 21 points a game. His three-point uh, field goal percentage was uh, at 35. His regular field goal percentage was at 53%. Um, I mean, this guy really can be a contributive player on this team and, and really help us out. So, you know, I've, I've seen people talk left and right about him. I've seen uh, people talk left and right about D'Angelo Russell and how he could fit in with the young core, but um, they're not exactly sure if he could actually play on a team where Luca's role is going to be mainly to ball handle, and then you've got someone like D'Angelo Russell who's also going to have to try and step up and play his role on the team as well. Uh, so there's a lot of names floating around, and everything at this point, I would say, is speculation. I think we all can understand that Kemba Walker is plan A, and then I think we're all in agreement as well that plan B is Al Horford. But once after that, it, things get a little mucky. So. You know, I don't want to put any pessimism on this team, but we all understand that sometimes, when I say sometimes, I mean pretty much for the last decade now, the Mavericks have swung and missed on every single free agency chance to sign someone. Um, but things are different now. You know, you've got two promising young guys like Luca and Kristaps that show that this team really does have a direction in a future now. And I think that all of the free agents out there, including the serious ones, really need to be looking at the Mavericks as a potential team to join. With that being said, that's really everything Mavericks related that we can talk about right now. So um, let's, uh, let's move on to football. So we're in that rare time of the year where the NFL is not dominating sports headlines. Um, so things are a little quiet right now, but there are some things that we can talk about in terms of the Cowboys. Uh, so a lot of players lately have been getting signed to some pretty hot deals. You've got guys like Carson Wentz on the Eagles getting a five-year deal where it looks like he's making uh, roughly, uh, I think it was somewhere between 25 to 30 mil a year, but it was a serious multi-year deal. Um, and then you've got the Saints about to pay Michael Thomas something huge that it sounds like they're putting together something pretty big for him. And so that begs the question now about the pressure being put on the Cowboys and what they do with contracts in relation to Dak, in relation to Amari Cooper, and to Zeke Elliott because we all got we got to pay all of them, you know? We just did that phenomenal deal with Demarcus Lawrence that's keeping him on our team. Uh, and so now we've got to pay our offensive superstars. And the question becomes... How do we go about this? How do we prioritize them? Which ones come first? Um, so the Amari Cooper one is a little bit time constricted because we don't know when that Michael Thomas deal is going to come. Um, now, I wouldn't argue in any sort of way that Amari Cooper has proven that he is of the skill level of Michael Thomas just because of his short time with Dak. But when he showed up on this team, he really did become a difference maker. And so the question becomes, do we extend him? Um, now or do we wait? We gotta we gotta really figure out what's going on with these guys. And then of course, uh, everyone's been debating Dak's worth um, and how much he we really should be paying the guy. But I mean, look, I think we all understand that in the NFL, it's really hard to find yourself a franchise quarterback. Just ask any Florida NFL team; it's not that easy. And so, whenever you're trying to now figure out, okay, how do we pay Dak? You can make the argument that, yeah, he's not the best quarterback in the world. I mean, I was right there with most of y'all whenever I was watching the games, and I would see him overthrow uh, a pass or underthrow a pass that my grandma could make. But he has these skills that a lot of other NFL quarterbacks don't offer in terms of his rushing ability, uh, how he provides a threat on the ground that 
uh, players have to look out for so that you know they could try to look at Zeke as a runner but now they also have to consider Prescott as a runner essentially what Cam Newton did whenever he first came into the league as well and so I think that Dak really is someone that this team needs to make an investment in I think that giving him something like 32 mil a year uh, which is what we've been hearing is probably going to be the deal uh, according to his agents at least uh, suggests that you know this is this is the direction that we're going to have to go with him and Personally, I have no problem with it at all. I'm not going to suggest that I'm a big Dak fan or anything or that he really is going to be the humongous difference maker on this team, that he's elite. I won't go as far as to make any claim like that, but I will say that he is worth paying the amount of money that we need to pay him. Uh, Amari Cooper, like I said, is going to be just a time-constricted deal. And then, of course, there's Zeke. Now, it's interesting how the Zeke thing is going to go down because the Cowboys already a couple of years ago pretty much set a league-wide precedent on how we value running backs. When DeMarco Murray was having a great rushing season with this team, the Cowboys didn't pay him, right? Because the Cowboys pretty much suggested, listen, you know, you're running back, you have a limited amount of time before you get run down and worn out, and so we're not going to make a long-term commitment to you. We're just going to move on to the next running back. Uh, now, Zeke is one of those guys that you can't make the same argument like you did with DeMarco Murray or with Alfred Morris or Darren McFadden where you can just say it was the offensive line. I think everyone is in agreement that if he is not the best running back in the NFL, he's at least in the conversation. It's not just an offensive line thing. So at this point now, what do you do with someone like Zeke Elliott? Do you once again set a new precedent and basically conflict what you did a couple of years ago and pay Zeke a lot of money. Of course, now we have to ask the question though, where's the balance? How are they gonna be able to pay Dak, to pay Zeke, to pay Cooper? And then on top of that, you know, what if some other guys end up becoming very important for this team? Uh, as far as I know right now, we have our offensive line locked up in long-term deals. Um, and so they're not gonna be a problem for the next two years or so, but it's stuff to think about. And uh, in my personal uh, priority here, I think that Dak comes number one of those three. I think that we need to get him paid and we need to get him paid now. And then we can worry about Cooper and Zeke after the fact. But your quarterback is the most important thing. It's the hardest thing to find in this league. It is the most important position that really makes a difference on if your team makes it to the championship or not, if they make it into the playoffs or not. Uh, and the fact that Dak, ever since he's been on our team, has had a winning record in all the seasons that he's been here, you know, you can't really fault the guy. He's, he's done well with what he's been given. Uh, and so you got to give him at least credit for that. Um, the only other thing in NFL news is the new pass interference rule change. Now, this, of course, is a response to what happened to the Saints-Rams games in the, the playoffs last season. Um, essentially, what happened was is the Saints had a pass that got broken up in the red zone that was pretty much obvious from the moment that it happened was a flagrant pass interference and uh it wasn't called and everyone is in shock when this happens hands are being thrown in the air the entire stadium is going nuts and it was as clear as day and they played the replay over and over as the game was still being broadcast live to just show you how bad of a missed call it really was and the fact that it had happened so flagrantly and that the referee just for some reason decided not to call it that was it there was nothing that we could do about it and so 
after enough rumblings this off season, um, it you know the the league uh, came to the conclusion that it was time to do something about that, and that if something like that were to happen, that there's some sort of fail safe. Uh, and so we now have a new pass interference rule change in effect. Uh, and I actually have the official transcript of what the NFL just released the other day. Uh, here's what it says. It says, the replay official will stop the game after the two-minute warning of each half and during overtime. When there is clear and obvious visual evidence that a pass interference foul may or may not have occurred, based on viewing the play live or any initial replays, a stoppage will occur under stricter criteria than for other reviewable plays to prevent excessive game stoppages. So essentially what they're saying is within the two-minute warning of the first half or the end of the game, uh, and then also pretty much all along overtime, if there is a play that happens where pass interference is in question, then that's when they're going to review it. Uh, The rest of it just suggests that it's basically the same as most other things in the league that are replay reviewable, like touchdowns and, and fumbles and and whatnot and interceptions and catches is that it just needs to be definitive proof to argue against what call was made on the field. Um, Strangely enough, I'm seeing that this rule is being in place specifically for uh, next season, but it's a one-year thing. It's not going to be in place after the fact. I think that's just because this is an experimental rule. They just want to see if it really does work out and makes a difference in the league. Uh, and if it does, then I'm sure they're going to implement it long-term because obviously, why wouldn't they? It's good for the league. It's good for the players. Um, but if they notice that it really doesn't make a difference and that all it does is cause more game stoppages, which makes the games longer, which in today's world is a bad thing to do, um, then they're probably just going to wipe it clean and, and step away from that rule change in the first place. Okay, that's all we got for uh, football. So it's time to move on to the stars. So get the notes here. Not a whole lot going on for the stars in hockey. We can just uh, run through, on, uh, through this one pretty quickly. But um, first thing to take note of is that Ben Bishop uh, finished second in the Vizina Trophy race. Um, I was a little bummed out about that. I personally thought Bishop had one hell of a great season. Uh, instead, they got the uh, goalie over from Tampa Bay, uh, the, the, the Tampa Bay disappointments. Um, and uh, and uh, Bishop ended up finishing second. Um, let's see, what else here? Oh, Haskinen uh, got elected to the NHL's all-rookie team. Well-deserved. Um, I've been making the claim ever since I've seen the guy kick ass last season that he is definitely the NHL's Luca, not just because he's on a Dallas team, but because he is that rookie that just came out of nowhere and really uh, just started beefing up the team and making a difference uh, ever since he started getting the proper minutes. And the only other thing about the Stars to report, and this one's actually notable, uh, there are a lot of guys that the Stars are needing to re-sign, but two of the names that have recently been called out as not being re-signed on the team are going to be Mark Mathot and Jason Spezza. Now, Mark Mathot isn't a name that will probably ring a whole lot of bells because the guy's been injured pretty much most of the time that he's been on the team. Uh, and with a team that's already got a pretty efficient defense, uh, there's really no point in trying to keep a guy on the team uh, for the role of being a defenseman or, or beefing up that defense. But the other one, Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza's been on this team for a little bit now, and he's been a guy that can sometimes make a moment when called upon. Uh, But over the last couple of years, his production on the team has slowly declined, and with other names now rising, 
Um, you got guys like Roman Polak. You got Matt's uh, Zooks now, and and then of course you've got the the rookies that we've got, um, and then of course the captain and and, uh, and and really just the rest of the roster. Uh, it just becomes this big thing where you realize you know there's some names that need to be let go, and unfortunately Jason Spezza uh, just ended up being the guy called upon to be let go. So he won't be seeing. Uh, we will not be seeing him. Uh, come back to the team as of next year but that's really all that's going on in the world of the stars so I actually want to finish this podcast off talking about uh, the sport that is currently going on right now and that is baseball so the Rangers are continuing their pretty surprising season uh, they're as of this recording four games over 500 40 wins 36 losses they're second in the American League West just behind the Astros uh, and before I even start talking about uh, the players and what this team is currently, going into this season, I think we all are in agreement that we didn't really expect a whole lot out of this team. We thought we were going to be a basement-dwelling team that actually doesn't really have a, a good outlook in the future on either because they don't have a strong farming system, they don't have assets, um, they don't have a whole lot in cap space, They don't. it's not a team that's ever really been like a strong pool for free agency and so you know there wasn't a whole lot of optimism in the world of the texas rangers uh and then out of nowhere guys like hunter pence guys like cabrera guys like santana all these new faces show up and just start killing it with this team and when you add the addition of nomar mazara and uh and joey gallo who hopefully will be coming back from uh the injury list soon uh, this team has has really stepped up but not even that included, okay? My personal problem with the team last year was the pitching, you know, because I, I felt like we had a good starting lineup, you know, Shin, Shin Chu and, and Delino DeShields, uh, just adding on to that roster really made it one to behold, but we could never really keep up with the other team's score because our pitching was always so bad. Um, the only thing that we could rely on in pitching last year was like Lurk's closing ability, which we're, we're going to unfortunately have to get to here in a second. But the starting pitcher situation has been really impressive. Um, Mike Miner has just become one of the best pitchers in the league, you can you can argue. Uh, he's the obvious ace on this team. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talking about potentially using him as a trade asset to, to get prospects and, and this and that. And who knows, maybe we can use him like that. But I feel like on a team where, as of right now, things are looking a little wonky and we're not exactly sure where the team's going, I enjoy the bright spot that is Mike Miner, who's having a career year right now with an ERA of 2.52, I believe, at this point for the season, which is just lights out insane. And then Lance Lynn has really stepped up to the plate as well. He's doing a great job for us. And uh, as of this moment, our starting lineup is Miner and Lynn, and then after that, that was when the real question started to rise. Who's going to step up? Who are going to be the guys for us? And guys like Sampson, Gerardo, and Chavez, those dudes have really stepped up to the plate, no pun intended, um, and they are now really doing their jobs. You know, you can say that the last couple of games they've had some questionable games, but every pitcher has got an off night, and I feel like those guys just need some time to get back onto their, their game. But really, you know, this team has has really surprised everybody coming out of the gate so with that thing moving forward you know what are we going to go from where are we going to go from here 
Is this team going to reel back as the season progresses? Are we going to continue to move forward? Uh, unfortunately, these last 10 games, we're at a 4-6 record. Um, we just uh, gave one up to the White Sox last night, which didn't look so good. But I think that maybe we're just kind of hitting, hitting a, a sort of a maintaining stability point in the season where we're just kind of going 500 right now, winning some, losing some. But I think give us some time, and I really think that this team – has a good chance of making the playoffs this year as long as they they keep this this positivity and this optimism alive. I really think that a lot of the guys on this team can keep it going. Um, I really just am, my biggest concern is the pitching, right? And not even just the starting lineup. Um, we're gonna have to talk about the closure situation. The bullpen situation is still one of those things where we're we're still trying to figure it out and a lot of names are, are being tossed around as, as potentially good and and trade assets and guys being pulled up from uh, uh, the lower leagues. But in regards to the bullpen, we have to talk about the closer situation because a lot of the bullpen guys are getting shuffled into the closer situation. And as of right now, from what I understand, we're kind of doing a closer by committee approach because the unfortunately for the Rangers, the closer curse has continued. We had started all out with Sean Tolleson a couple years back, then it became Sam Dyson. Basically, every single time a new guy steps up and shows us that he's got the skills to be the closer, the moment that we finally put him in that position in what we intend to be a full-time role, then suddenly he just becomes one of the worst closers you know we could have and starts giving up games and blowing all these saves. And uh, it, it's just become such an issue now that Leclerc has now fallen under that, that spell as well. And so as of this moment, from what I understand, our closer by committee approach is Sean Kelly as our first man up, and then we'll sometimes throw in Leclerc in there, as long as, and, and as well as Chris Martin. Uh, but really, Sean Kelly is the dude that we're kind of calling upon now because Leclerc has really let us down, you know? And after we gave him a great deal this offseason too, because like I said, he was really the only... Uh, pitching asset on this team last year that seemed consistent and reliable and now we come into this year and he's he's just dropping all of these saves uh, it's a lot to to think about you know what where this team's going to go with the closer situation and if this bullpen really is something good um and so when you talk about that and you talk about the lack of prospects i can kind of see where people are trying to make the argument about trading in mike minor for some sort of assets but um I'm going to hesitate on that one because, I mean, hell, I really like Mike Miner. Um, but that being said, um, before we close off this podcast, I want to I wanna end this on a joke because to me this really does uh, seem like a joke. So if, if, and nobody, if you guys have not been paying attention, uh, there is this really, really strange thing going on in the MLB right now with uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, so the MLB just gave the Rays franchise permission to explore the possibility of having a two-city uh, team, right? And of all places that the Rays were thinking about splitting uh, their team up in, uh, it's Tampa Bay and Montreal, Canada, right? And the first thing that I thought about as soon as I heard about this was, what about the players, right? What are they going to have to do in terms of living situation? Are they going to have to get a house in Tampa Bay and Canada? Possibly one of the, the two most opposite places on the planet. Um, 
what about the fans? You know, you're telling me that the fans can only show up to half the season, to half the home games. That doesn't make any sense to me. If you get a season, if you're a season ticket holder, you, it's really only half a season ticket. So that makes no sense to me. It's, I just, I don't see the good that comes out of this. The problem and the reason why they're doing this is because Florida is one of the worst states in regards to attendance for baseball. And so the Tampa Bay Rays are right there in the bottom of the league, right next to the Marlins in attendance. So I'm trying to figure out here, why are you trying to split when you should just vacate that city straight up? Obviously, the city does not care about baseball because the attendance rates are so low, and you just need to get out of there. And you can make the same argument about Miami. I just think Florida is not a baseball state. So this whole idea of doing a two-city team I mean, this was one of the most questionable things I think I've ever heard of in regards to, like, a sports team. It makes no sense. So we're going to see where that goes. I mean, as as a bystander, I think, okay, if it happens, I'm definitely going to watch and, and see how it works and if it even can be done properly. But hearing about it the first time around, I couldn't help but laugh and think it was just a joke because it's such a crazy idea. So we're going to see what happens with that. We're going to see if that ends up becoming something this summer. Uh, from what I understand, that's something that they're trying to aim to get done by, uh, I don't even know the year, just within the next couple of years or so, they're going to try to get that thing going, and um, I guess we'll see if it happens. But uh, it looks like that's everything. Um, so I really appreciate anyone who uh, listened in on this first episode of the podcast. Uh, the 214 is just now getting started. I'm hoping to keep this thing going regularly. Like I said, I'm not exactly sure how often this thing is gonna go. You know, as of this moment, uh, my head is being set on this being a weekly thing and trying to upload it every weekend. So um, keep an eye out for the next episode coming up soon. And I really appreciate you guys listening in. Y'all take it easy.